0: Welcome to the December 1st, 2022 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. First on today's podcast, we discuss encouraging results of a Phase two study using a sequential abrutinib venetoclax treatment approach driven by MRD findings in individual patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or CLL. Up next, we examine new research demonstrating that donor natural killer cells trigger release of beta-2 microglobulin by host dendritic cells, greatly accelerating donor-derived immune reconstitution after allogeneic bone marrow transplant in mice. We'll look at the therapeutic implications of this as well. Lastly, we review a study of retinoic acid resistance in a mouse model of variant acute promyelocytic leukemia. Resistance was driven by the epigenetic regulator EZH2 which suggests the potential for an EZH2-targeted therapeutic approach. The first research article is entitled Minimal Residual Disease-Driven Treatment Intensification with Sequential Addition of Ibrutinib to Venetoclax in Relapsed Refractory CLL. The first authors are Lydia Scarfo and Sylvia Helte of San Rafael Hospital in Milan, Italy. Treatment of CLL has evolved considerably over the past 10 years due to agents that target either Bruton's tyrosine kinase or the anti-apoptotic protein BCL2. These two drug classes target complementary mechanisms of malignant cell persistence and survival. Agents that inhibit BTK, including Ibrutinib, block the B-cell receptor signaling pathway, thereby inhibiting proliferation. By contrast, venetoclax targets BCL2, a key regulator of apoptosis, thereby promoting cancer cell death. Combining BTK and BCL2 inhibitors in CLL is an appealing strategy that is strongly supported by preclinical data. These combinations have been tested in untreated and relapsed refractory CLL. However, these studies were one-size-fits-all. Each patient in a given study received the same combination of two targeted agents, given for a fixed duration. Personalized CLL treatment strategies may be warranted. Some patients could achieve their best response on a single drug, while others may need both drugs. Still, others might need continuous therapy to achieve a deep response. One tool being used to test personalized strategies is measurable residual disease, sometimes called minimal residual disease, or just MRD. Undetectable MRD after CLL treatment correlates with improved progression-free and overall survival and measurement of MRD has become a key outcome in CLL studies. The present study by Scarfo, Heltai, and co-authors evaluates a specific personalized treatment strategy for patients with relapsed refractory CLL based on MRD. In the phase 2 study called IMPROVE, patients started venetoclax, then discontinued it if MRD was undetectable. If not, they received additional ibrutinib therapy with continued venetoclax, and if they achieved undetectable MRD on the combination, both drugs were stopped. The investigator-initiated single-arm, open-label study included adult patients who had received at least one prior therapy and had active disease requiring treatment. Patients who received previous BTK or BCL2 inhibitors were excluded. 38 patients with a median age of 64 years started standard-dose venetoclax single-agent therapy. After 12 28-day cycles of venetoclax, MRD assessment was performed using six-color flow cytometry. Investigators looked for undetectable MRD-4, which was defined as less than one CLL cell out of 10,000 leukocytes, or 10 to the negative 4. They found after 12 cycles of venetoclax, 19 of the patients had undetectable MRD-4 in the peripheral blood, which was subsequently confirmed in bone marrow for 17 patients, or about 45% of the intention-to-treat group. 16 of those 17 patients discontinued venetoclax, as planned. The 19 patients not achieving undetectable MRD-4 in peripheral blood samples went on to receive standard daily doses of abrutinib added to venetoclax, starting at cycle 13. At a median of 7 months, 16 of the 19 patients on the combination regimen achieved undetectable MRD-4, allowing for both treatments to be discontinued. Two patients who were still MRD-positive at the end of 24 cycles went on to receive nib until progression or unacceptable toxicity. So, altogether, 87% of patients achieved undetectable MRD-4 using this sequential MRD-guided treatment strategy. Only about half had to receive combination therapy. Most adverse events were grade 1 to 2 and grade 3 to 4 neutropenia and bronchitis, which occurred in 44% and 5% of patients, respectively. Ibrutinib adverse events of special interest, including atrial fibrillation, hypertension, and bleeding, were all grade 1 to 2 and seen in fewer than 15% of patients. Collectively, the results of the IMPROVE study thoughtfully addressed the challenge of avoiding over- or undertreatment of patients with CLL according to Carlos Chiatone of Santa Casa Medical School in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Alvaro J. Alencar of the University of Miami Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center. In their commentary on the study, Chiatone and Alencar say that MRD-guided strategy allows for deep responses to be achieved in many cases with venetoclax alone, thus minimizing risk of added toxicity. Patients may appreciate the limited treatment exposure, they added, noting that it may be associated not only with less clinical toxicity, but also less financial toxicity. Still, the MRD-guided strategy might be pushed further. Could similar results be achieved with even less treatment exposure? The commentary authors speculate that this would be possible, particularly if ibrutinib were to be introduced earlier. That could head off months of suboptimal therapy and ultimately shorten length of treatment even further. For now, they said, the improved study offers strong proof of principle that an MRD-driven strategy is feasible in patients with relapsed refractory CLL, and there's no reason why it couldn't be tried in first-line treatment as well. Although longer and larger studies are needed, particularly with next-generation BTK inhibitors, the results suggest that time is limited for the era of indefinite therapy. The next research article is titled, Donor Natural Killer Cells Trigger Production of Beta-2 Microglobulin to Enhance Post-Bone Marrow Transplant Immunity. The first author is Laura Loredana Ruggeri of the Division of Hematology and Bone Marrow Transplantation at Perugia General Hospital in Perugia, Italy. Allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplant remains a potent and potentially curative intervention for a variety of hematologic malignancies. There are a number of unresolved issues with transplant, including the risk of disease relapse and the emergence of graft-versus-host disease. Yet another issue, which is relevant to the current research article in Blood that we will discuss, is slow immune reconstitution particularly following transplantation of CD34-selected grafts depleted of T-cells or using anti-T-cell serotherapy to reduce GVHD. The potential for delays in T-cell reconstitution and prolonged immune incompetence following allotransplant leaves the patient vulnerable to relapse and infection. Thus, accelerating immune reconstitution after transplant is a desirable goal, yet how to do so remains a pressing question. Now, Ruggieri and colleagues provide new insights on the role of natural killer, or NK, cells in enhancing immunity after bone marrow transplant. The research team has looked very closely at the role of donor NK cells in allogeneic transplantation over the years. In previous work, published in a seminal paper two decades ago, the team demonstrated that donor NK cells could ablate recipient hematopoietic targets and mismatch haploidentical transplants, including leukemia cells and recipient T cells responsible for graft rejection. They also showed that in allogeneic transplants, donor alloreactive NK cells ablated recipient antigen-presenting dendritic cells, thereby reducing GVHD. Fast forward to 2022, and the team has uncovered a novel principle behind post-transplant immune incompetence that is also linked to how MHC mismatch donor NK cells mediate favorable clinical outcomes, one that may ultimately have therapeutic implications. At the center point is the protein beta-2-microglobulin, identified through experiments conducted in murine models of bone marrow transplant and a human cell culture system. The experiments showed that donor versus recipient alloreactive NK cells triggered recipient dendritic cells to synthesize beta-2 microglobulin, which was identified by proteomics analysis. In turn, beta-2 microglobulin stimulated production of two master regulators of lymphocyte development, CKIT ligand and interleukin-7 by thymic and bone marrow stroma. That markedly accelerated the recovery of donor-derived B and T lineage cells and dendritic cells after bone marrow transplant. Additional studies further implicated beta-2 microglobulin as an enhancer of immunity post-transplant. The observed immune rebuilding effect could be abolished by introducing an anti-beta-2 microglobulin antibody into natural killer and dendritic cell co-culture supernatants. Furthermore, accelerated immune reconstitution was not observed in beta-2 microglobulin knockout mice, but then infusion of wild-type natural killer and dendritic cell co-culture supernatants restored accelerated immune reconstitution. In a similar vein, the investigators were able to stymie the immune rebuild by silencing the gene-encoding beta-2 microglobulin in human dendritic cells. These findings have translational potential, according to Ruggeri and co-authors on the research article. Specifically, one could imagine that many patients could benefit from the infusion of ex vivo-expanded donor alloreactive NK cells. Adoptive transfer of large quantities of these cells may improve the survival rate for patients who undergo haploidentical hematopoietic transplantation. But let's go back to the previous research from this team on the role of NK cells in ablating recipient hematopoietic targets. How does that thread fit together with the present one? Be sure to read the commentary on this study, written by Edmund K. Waller of Winship Cancer Institute at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Waller says that in aggregate, the data from these studies support a model by which activated donor NK cells facilitate T-cell reconstitution. Essentially, Waller says... The donor NK cells kill recipient-type dendritic cells in the days following the allogeneic transplant, releasing beta-2 microglobulin, which enhances immune reconstitution by sustaining proliferation of thymic epithelial cells. Waller says the present paper supports efforts currently underway in graft engineering to identify optimal combinations of donor cells for transplantation. In clinical trials, strategies are being explored that involve the selection of CD34-positive cells plus precise numbers of conventional T-cells, NK-cells, and other cell types. To the extent that NK-cells are involved, the present research by Ruggeri and co-authors provides novel mechanistic insights that may inform the development of such graft engineering approaches. This new data, Waller concludes, will likely lead to therapeutic interventions to enhance T-cell reconstitution in HLA mismatch allogeneic transplant recipients. The final research article is entitled Non-Canonical EZH2 Drives Retinoic Acid Resistance of Variant Acute Promyelocytic Leukemias. And the first author is Mathilde Pomplano of the Research Cancer Center of Marseille at Pauli Calmet Institute in Marseille, France. Acute promyelocytic leukemia, or APL, accounts for 10-15% of all AML cases. APL is characterized by recurrent chromosomal translocations that involve the gene encoding the retinoic acid receptor alpha, or RAR-alpha, with fusion partners, most commonly PML. The resulting fusion proteins act as RAR-alpha signaling repressors. Of note, patients with the PML-RAR-alpha fusion are highly sensitive to treatment with retinoic acid, the binding of which leads to target gene transcription and degradation of the fusion protein. Also highly effective is arsenic trioxide, which triggers conjugation of PML-RAR-alpha to the ubiquitin-like peptide SUMO, leading to full degradation of the fusion protein. The result is a textbook case illustrating the success of targeted therapy in cancer. Today, more than 90% of patients with APL can be cured with the chemotherapy-free combination of retinoic acid and arsenic trioxide. Unfortunately, when it comes to the treatment of variant APL, which accounts for about 5% of APL, that textbook is still in early drafts. There are chromosomal translocations involving RAR-alpha and 18 non-PML partner genes, none of which are sensitive to arsenic trioxide. And retinoic acid alone is not effective in the most common APL variant, PLZFRAR alpha, which accounts for about 1% of APLs. In patients with the PLZFRAR alpha fusion, retinoic acid fails to clear leukemic stem cells and does not induce disease remission. It stands to reason that the PLZF moiety of this fusion plays a role in resistance to retinoic acid treatment. PLZF is a potent transcriptional repressor capable of interacting with epigenetic complexes on its own. But it's not known why PLZF-RAR-alpha expressing cells are resistant to retinoic acid. Furthermore, some PLZF-RAR-alpha expressing cells retain their capacity for self-renewal, while others do not, the reason for which is also unknown. These questions underlie the present research article by Pomplineau and co-authors. They used a mouse model of PLZFRAR-alpha-APL and single-cell multiomics to study leukemia cells that were resistant to retinoic acid. In short, they uncovered transcriptional and chromatin heterogeneity in the leukemia cells. By establishing cell clusters and building hierarchies, they were able to pinpoint a subset of promyelocytes that were resistant to retinoic acid-induced differentiation. Notably, these cells highly expressed Enhancer of Zesty Homolog-2, or EZH2, which is the catalytic subunit of polycomb repressive complex 2, or PRC2. Functions of EZH2 include post-translational methylation of both histone and non-histone protein substrates. It's intriguing that EZH2 was implicated in this resistance, especially since EZH2 is already well-recognized as a compelling cancer target. In recent years, there have been numerous clinical studies of drugs targeting EZH2 across a wide range of tumor types. Accordingly, Pomplino and co-investigators looked more closely at the function of EZH2 in APL, and especially in relation to retinoic acid. They found that EZH2 had a dual role in the onset of APL as well as in response to retinoic acid, suggesting that for leukemia clearance in the PLZFRAR-alpha subtype, Targeting the non-histone methyltransferase activity of EZH2 may be necessary. In particular, the investigators showed that the non-enzymatic activity of EZH2 was important in resistance to retinoic acid. They targeted pan-EZH2 activity using a commercial EZH2 degrader, given in combination with retinoic acid, in mice transplanted with retinoic acid-resistant rar apl cells. With this treatment model, the researchers were able to demonstrate repression of cell proliferation and DNA replication, PLZFRAR-alpha degradation, prevention of disease progression, and significantly improved survival. In contrast to pan-EZH2 blocking, inhibition of EZH2-methyltransferase alone failed to reverse resistance to retinoic acid and did not stop progression of leukemia. A commentary on this study was provided by Zhang Fei Wang of the Beijing Institute of Genomics in Beijing, China, and Hong Hu Zhu of Zhejiang University School of Medicine in Zhejiang, China. Wang and Zhu wrote that by identifying a unique subset of PLZF/RAR alpha driven leukemia cells, the current study provides novel insights into important questions regarding cellular heterogeneity and treatment resistance. The subset of retinoic acid-resistant cells depended on a fine-tuned E2F-EZH2 network, Wang and Zhu said in the commentary. They said the data on effectiveness of pan-EZH2 inhibition in contrast to the failure of EZH2 methyltransferase inhibition, reveal a, quote, unexpected interdependent relationship between EZH2 and PLZFRAR-alpha and highlight the multifaceted actions of EZH2 in leukemia development and drug resistance. While the current study emphasizes the importance of epigenetic regulation of EZH2 and APL, more work needs to be done. For example, studies are needed to determine whether this model is specific to PLZF-RAR-alpha or whether it may also apply to one or more of the 17 APL variants. A similar EZH2-related mechanism might also be present in patients with classical APL, further emphasizing the need for future research. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.